wherever they need to go. There's a place for everybody of all ages here, and so we want to encourage you to take advantage of that. And so right now we're going to be continuing on in our sermon series called Old School, where we're diving into the Old Testament. And we're in the fourth week out of five. If you missed any of the previous weeks, you can catch all the sermons online at SalemStLouis.com. You can do it on our app, or you can also do it in my favorite, which is Apple Podcasts. You can find them anywhere to get caught up with what we're doing. Um, In this series, each previous message isn't necessarily important for the next one, but we do think that the Old Testament is a place that we miss out on a lot. And so, you know, as Christians, it makes sense that we talk about Jesus a lot and we dive into the New Testament because Jesus Christ is who we follow. But that doesn't change the fact that over half of the book that we call the authoritative book of our lives is found in the Old Testament. And so we think that a lot of people are really intimidated by the Old Testament because it's big and there's lots of stuff and themes in there we don't really understand. We don't dive into it a whole lot. And so we're trying to change that narrative a little bit here at Salem where we can become comfortable in it because we know in the Word of God, all of the Word of God is is mercy and love and sovereignty and triumph of our God. And so we really just wanted to do a series that's going to help us encounter God in a new and a fresh way and let us fall in love with all of God's word and not just part of it. And so the Old Testament is made up of several different types of literature, as is the entire Bible. And we wanted to touch on as many as we possibly could. And so in the first week, Pastor Terry preached in here and she did a, she did a sermon on David and Goliath, which is historical narrative. So that means that basically it's a story about historical event. And she reminded us that a lot of times the Goliath in our lives is only as big as we make it out to be because we have God on our side. And if we are just brave enough to answer the call of God, then Goliath is going to come down every time. Then Goliath is going to come down every time. And then the second week, uh, Pastor Tim talked about uh, the book of Deuteronomy. He dove into this idea of covenant relationship and what that looks like and how God desires covenant relationship from each one of us, which is intimate and self-sacrificial. And last week, Pastor Tim read from the Proverbs, which is a book of wisdom. And he let us know a little bit that God cares about the work that we do because God cares about the people that we work with. And now this week, we're going to be diving into the prophets. And I feel strongly that we're going to be reading from a book that a lot of you might not even know is in the Bible, and that a lot of you probably certainly haven't heard a sermon about before. Uh, We're going to be reading from this book called Hosea, the prophet Hosea. It's a tiny little book. You can read it in under an hour, I would think, the whole entire thing in under an hour. Um, If you're a slow reader like me, maybe an hour and a half. It's not a big book, not a big book at all. But we're going to dive into just the section of this book and learn a little bit about the prophet Hosea. And I think you're going to encounter a crazy story today because we're going to learn about God, his people, a prophet, and a prostitute in maybe the craziest love story that any of us have ever heard. But before we do that, I was hoping that we could pray together and invite God into this time of spoken word. God, we all come here this morning in different places, different places in our week, different places in our lives. Some of us feel like we're at rock bottom, and some of us are on cloud nine. No matter where we're at, let us never lose focus of you. May this time of spoken word be powerful for each of us. Speak to us what we need to hear, both as a church and as individuals. Open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts to encounter you. Let us leave this place challenged yet encouraged by your love. And it's the name of Jesus, our Savior, that we pray. Amen. What about three years ago or so when my wife Brittany and I were doing our 
wedding planning, it wasn't until that moment that I realized how much actually goes into a wedding, okay? I think they don't tell the guy about this, so he has to buy the shiny object before he, you know, gets too intimidated and decides to back out. But there's a lot of stuff that you have to do to prepare for a wedding no matter how much money you spend on the wedding. And I believe that wedding planning is actually a great litmus test for the strength of your marriage (laughs) because you go through a lot of stuff and a lot of trying times before you even decide to end up saying your vows. Like, did you know that the average American wedding spends over $33,000 on a wedding? That's like all of, that's all of the expenditures of American weddings put together. The average is over 33 grand. So like, I realized that there's some, like, there's a lot that spend a lot more than 33 grand because you can only go 33,000 back to zero, right? But you can go a heck of a lot further than 33,000. And so there's some that are pulling that number up. But $33,000 is a lot of money. And I have no idea how much money was spent on mine, thank goodness. And, and our, our wedding was, was truly the best day of my life. I have to say that because my wife is here, but I wrote it before she was here. Uh, it, was the, it was the greatest day of my life, truly. Um, I would never want to go through the process ever again, but it was the greatest day of my life. And I think whether you spend a lot of money and a lot of time on your wedding or you spend a little bit, there's still a lot of stuff that goes into getting married. And so one of the things that we really wanted to hone in on was, was the actual wedding ceremony itself. We felt this to be so important because we think that our lives together is an act of worship, and so we want our wedding ceremony to reflect what our lives together in God was going to look like. And so one of the things we decided to do is, is for a vow, some people write their own vows, and they do, you know, they personalize all that stuff. We decided not to do that. We kind of just stuck with the traditional liturgy that you found, that we found in the wedding ceremony. You know, very, very basic. And so I kind of have an idea of what's going to be said, some idea. And so I, it's time to get married, so I get up there. I guess I was like this. I get up there, and, you know, my friend Adam, uh, who's a pastor in Kansas City, was conducting the wedding ceremony. And, and so it's, it's, you know, I have to repeat after him, I, Sean, take you, Brittany, as my wife, to have and to hold in sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, yada, yada, yada. The yada, yada, yada part wasn't actually in there, um, but you get the idea. Uh, I know I'm a hopeless romantic. I really can't help it. Um, I, I think, but I think, though, like, I didn't really know what he was going to say, but I, I don't know that it mattered. <laughs> I don't really know that it mattered. I was just probably sitting there. I was like, just let me know. Let me know when the kiss part comes because I'm ready for that. Like, just let me know when it's time for the kiss, and I'll, I'll, I'm, I'm good for that. I got that. Whatever you say in between is just whatever it is. I would imagine that I probably, like, I, I honestly don't really remember exactly everything that happened. I was just so locked in to just be like, okay, this is what's happening in my life right now. And I probably would have agreed and repeated whatever the pastor, whatever my friend Adam would have said which is a scary thought, but I probably would have. Because, like, what if it would have been to have and to hold and sickness and in health, for richer, for poor, in prostitution and adultery? I, I hope that would have stopped me. Like, I hope I would have taken a step back and been like, okay, one more time. Because I don't think that I would have agreed to that. But the crazy thing is, is the story we're going to read from today, the prophet Hosea does agree to that. He does say yes to that. He uses a difficult marriage to compare God's relationship with Israel at the time to Israel at the time, and consequently, God's relationship with all of us today. So the story goes that God tells Hosea to marry a woman who was was adulterous, promiscuous, and we don't really necessarily know if she was this way prior to their marriage. We just know that she clearly had the propensity to do so upon their marriage. And so Hosea marries this girl named Gomer, okay? We can all, okay, Gomer, that's terribly sad that you would name your child Gomer, but that's her name. 
Her name is Gomer. She was terribly beautiful, I'm sure. Um, if, if you're thinking about naming your child Gomer or your name is Gomer, I apologize. Um, <laughs> on, your, on your parents' behalf. And so they, they get married and they have one child together. And she has two, she has two other children with another person, not named Hosea. And God tells Hosea to name the children, give them names that represent my frustration with the people of Israel who continue to turn away from God. And in chapter 2, God rebukes the people of Israel for their continuing to turn away from what God has commanded them to do, but then continues to promise them his compassion, his righteousness, his love, and his mercy, and restates that they are still his people. And so in chapter 3, we find Gomer, Hosea's wife, to have left him, run away, and join the sex slave industry. And that's where we start in verse 1 of chapter 3, where Hosea writes, The Lord said to me, Go, show your love to your wife again, though she is loved by another man and is an adulteress. Love her as the Lord loves the Israelites, though they turn to other gods and love the sacred raisin cakes. Okay, so first, I have to get through this because I know that all of you are just focusing on the words raisin cakes right now. Um, so we've got to get through that first before we can tackle the rest of the passage because you're like, raisin cakes, what in the world? Uh, so, so raisin cakes were basically used uh, for, for, for pagan sacrificial worship at the time. And so God is just kind of rebuking, condemning the people of Israel for turning to such a practice. Can we get past that? Okay. You can still have raisin bran crunch. You can still have uh, oatmeal raisin cookies. You're fine on that. No worries there. But God tells Hosea to go find his wife and show her that you still love her despite the fact that she's cheated on you and now joined the sex slave industry. But go find her. And don't just go find her, but go find her and show your love to her. Continue to commit yourself to this woman. Can you imagine the pain? If you think what God has placed on your heart is difficult, Imagine what Hosea is going to, the pain that he's already been through, and now the pain that God wants him to experience further. But Hosea says yes. Hosea has to now hunt down his adulterous wife, who is now owned, who is now owned, who is property of a pimp. Can you imagine, can you fathom the places Hosea has to go? Places that no self-respecting human would go, let alone a righteous Jewish man. Because we are just talking about poor neighborhoods and, and brothels and things. We're talking about 8th century poor neighborhoods and brothels. How messy is that search? How unsafe. How painful. Hosea is walking through these neighborhoods just trying to find his wife. Hey, I've, I've, I've been looking for Gomer. Have you seen her? Do you think that he ran into somebody who had paid to be with his wife? But Hosea does it. He says, yes, I will. I'll do that. And so in verse 2, Hosea writes, So I bought her for 15 shekels of silver and about a homer of lethic of barley. 
So basically, that's less than half a pound of silver and some wheat. But the price isn't necessarily the point. What does that scene look like? Hosea steps into a neighborhood and sees his wife shackled on a pedestal up for auction. And God says, that's the woman you need to go love. He couldn't just sift through the crowd, right, and say, excuse me, that's my wife. I'll be taking her home now. Couldn't just say, honey, I love you. It's time for us to go home. No. The slave owner would say, I'm sorry. I don't care who she is to you, but this is her price. She was owned. And so now Hosea is in a position where he has to buy back what he already owns. He has to pay for what's already his possession. And so Hosea buys his wife for some silver and some wheat. I have to imagine that for Hosea, who is willing to do this, the price didn't matter. Hosea was going to pay whatever the price was. Name your price. I don't care. I'm going to pay it because she is mine. That's my wife, and I love her. Hosea. What a love. That's insane. That's not what love is supposed to look like. You're not finding that on Hallmark. It doesn't make sense. Is she really worth it? Is she? she really worth it? And so I want to turn back to the first verse now where God says to Hosea, and I'm not going to read it specifically, but God says to Hosea, go find your wife, despite the fact that she's turned away from you, time and time again, despite the fact that she is actively running from you, go find her and show your love to her. And then God says, love her just like the Lord loves the Israelites. So maybe you beat me to the point that I'm about to make. Maybe you see it already. You see Hosea is the example of God in this story. And his wife Gomer is the Israelites. And so if we take that into our modern 21st century setting, Hosea will be our Savior Jesus. And Gomer is me. And Gomer is all of us. And Gomer is the entire world. You see, we're, we're God's possession. We're God's unique creation. Scripture says that the world and everything in it are God's unique creation and God's unique possession. Everything belongs to God, and yet God came to earth through the person of Jesus to pay back, to pay for what he already possessed, to pay for what's already him. God's possession has denied him, turned away from him, ran from him, spit on him, and killed him, and continues to turn away from him. And yet God chases after what is rightfully his. Jesus fights through the crowds. Jesus goes to the most disgusting of places. Jesus asks the question, how much? How much does it cost to buy back my beloved, because I'm going to. I'm going to pay that. It doesn't matter where Gomer would have gone, how much Gomer would have cost, how much life Gomer would have had left in her, how long it would have taken Hosea to find her. Hosea was going to pursue her, to fight for her, to chase her down, and to win her back. 
He was going to pay whatever price was on her head to win her back. It doesn't matter where you are. It doesn't matter where you have been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you are doing. Jesus will meet you in your mess. Jesus meets you in your mess every time. It doesn't matter how big the mess is. It doesn't matter how small the mess is. Jesus walks into your mess and pursues you. Jesus, who is our Hosea, has already paid the price to purchase you back, and he loves you so much that there is nowhere you can go and nothing you can do to stop him from pursuing you. Nothing is going to be too big of a price for Jesus to pay. Because that's the love that God has for you, and that's the love God has for all of us, and that's the love that God calls us to have for one another. You see, Hosea didn't know it yet, but Hosea was telling, really Hosea was living the gospel of Jesus. He was living the gospel of Jesus. Hosea went hunting for Gomer in the worst part of town, maybe the worst part of the country, maybe the worst part of the world. We don't really know how long it took but he was going where no person should go, where no person is safe, where our minds probably can't even imagine where he went to buy back what he already possessed. And Jesus does Hosea one better. Jesus even goes into death to find you. He goes into death to find you. But God, you don't, you don't know what I've done. You don't understand the things that I've said, the thoughts that I've thought, the actions that I've taken. God does know. And God says, I will step into that mess. I will take on that mess for you. And I will fight for and take back what is rightfully mine. Jesus steps into your addiction, steps into your broken marriage, chases you down in the midst of your awful relationships, pursues you in your doubt, pursues you in your anger, pursues you in your selfishness and in your greed, and says, you are not too far gone. You are enough. Because my love for you is enough and always going to be enough. When, when Hosea found Gomer... Gomer wasn't at her best. Gomer was dirty. Being auctioned off. When Jesus finds us, he doesn't find us perfect. He finds us dirty and chained in places we should never be, doing things we should never be doing. And Jesus doesn't stand in the back of the crowd saying, I hope they come down from that and clean themselves up. Jesus involves himself in the auction and puts a bid on your head and says, I will not be outbid. It doesn't matter how messy, it doesn't matter how not messy, he will not be outbid. Because Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. And that doesn't end at the end of the first century. Will you go back with your Hosea? 
Will you pursue your Hosea, Jesus, in the same way that he pursued and pursues you? That's the kind of love that God loves you with. Many of, in this, many of us in this room likely um, see ourselves as Gomer in the story. Or maybe we see ourselves like Gomer at one point in our life who has now found their Hosea and has gone up to be their Hosea. I identify that way. But my Hosea has taken me home and yet I continue to run away from Hosea and he has to chase me down again. And so no matter where you're at, if you've experienced the love of Hosea before or you're experiencing the love of Hosea for the first time, no matter who we are, where we are, the kind of love that Jesus, my Hosea, has shown me compels me to be some other Gomer's Hosea. It compels me to see who, who, where's Gomer? Where's the Gomer that God is calling me to pursue and to love and to track down at, at any cost? Because it's a tough place to be like, like Gomer without Hosea around. And there are a lot of Gomers out there that don't, that don't even know that Hosea is bidding on them, that don't even know that Hosea has already paid the price to free them. But when you were like Gomer, and you've been found by your Hosea, you know the transformation, the love, and the grace that you experience, that you can't keep it to yourself. And you know how much better it is to be with your Hosea than anything else. So who do you know that's Gomer? Who do you know that's Gomer in your life? Where are they? What are the stakes it will take to get them back home? What will it take to love them like the Lord loves us? Are the stakes greater than what God asked of Hosea? I doubt it. Are they greater than what Jesus has done for all of us? I don't think so. Who do you know that is in desperate need of Hosea? And what lengths are you willing to go to find them and bring them back? What price are you willing to pay to win them back, to bring them home where they belong? Because Jesus says the price he is willing to pay is anything. The price he is willing to pay for them is infinite. And so here's a humbling question that I ask you, and know that I'm asking this to myself as well. I think Tim will agree, like 100% of the time, we don't just preach to you all, we preach to ourselves as well, and we're very, you know, humble when we, we, we become humbled when we write things. But the question is, what does it say about our faith that the God that we worship says, I will go anywhere, I will do anything, and I will pay any price for all of my children no matter what situation they're in. I will do anything to win back what is mine. But we have a hard time talking to our friends about Hosea. We won't even have discussions with our family about the way Hosea loves us. 
Jesus says, I will go into the mess, I will go into the brothel, I will go into the depths of the ocean and to the mountaintops to fight for what is mine. I will even go into death to win you back. But we wouldn't even go down the street. And my answer to that question just reminds me of how desperately I need Hosea to continue to pursue me, to continue to win me back. Thank God, no matter what mess we're in, no matter how dirty, no matter what neighborhood, God has never stopped pursuing you and is never going to stop pursuing you. He has already paid the price for you. We just need to go home. And let that start with us this morning. Let it start with us that we would be the church, that we would be the generation that is going to say, yes, I'm going to seek out Gomer no matter what. I'm going to do that because that's the way that my Hosea loves me. And let's invite God to do that as we pray together and invite the man back up. Father God, thank you for the way you love us. that it, it, it leaves us speechless. Thank you for paying the price to bring us home. Thank you for always being willing to pay whatever price it takes and always chasing us down. Give us the strength and the power to chase down whoever the Gomer is that you've placed in our life that needs the love of their Hosea so desperately that they need to know Hosea let them know Hosea through us. This world needs you. Let us take a stand to love recklessly, just like you love your world and everything in it. If we love the way that Hosea and the way that you love, Father, there will be a revolution in this city there would be a transformation of this state. And this country would look a whole lot different and it would be a place that I want to be because it would constantly be in your love. Because the power of your love will never stop pursuing us, will never turn away from us. Thank you, Lord. And everyone agreed and said,